Well, Fred uh, has already mentioned what I want to talk about tonight, and that is wisdom. If you've been coming to uh, the bridge uh, this last year, anytime this last year, you know that uh, we started a series this last spring uh, on the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're calling it Made for More, uh, Finding Meaning Amid the Madness or Beyond the Madness. And uh, it's just been a great series so far, and we made it through chapter 6 before we took our break for the summer, and uh, we're going to be heading into chapter 7, not tonight, but Lord willing, next week. And uh, the reason why I wanted to um, not get into chapter 7 tonight was uh, the next chapter, chapter 7, is all about wisdom and folly, and uh, it's very proverb-like. We know that uh, Solomon was the author of both Ecclesiastes, right, and the book of Proverbs, at least the majority of the Proverbs. And as we move into really the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes, um, and Lord willing, finish it out this fall, uh, the very next section, like I said, is is, uh, you begin reading it and you think you're reading uh, from the book of Proverbs. And another great indication that Solomon was the inspired author of both Ecclesiastes and Proverbs because they're so much alike. They're so similar. And so I thought that tonight, just to kind of provide a little excursus, a kind of a, a let's kind of take a little rabbit trail here, um, just to prepare us for the second half of the book of Ecclesiastes, and particularly chapter 7, I wanted to talk about the subject of wisdom. And uh, what is wisdom? And uh, how do we uh, acquire wisdom? And uh, so that's what we're going to do tonight. And in, in the spirit of school being back in session, uh, a lot of our kids went back to school. Uh, kids are back in college, right? How many of you college students were you at? You, you're back in college, right? You're back into that grind, right? It's getting, getting all those syllabus shock, right? You look at all the syllabus and go, oh, all this stuff I got to do. And well, I came across this, this story a while back about two sophomores at Duke University, and they were taking organic chemistry, and throughout the semester, they did very well, and uh, going into the final exam, they both had an A, and so they were very confident in themselves and decided to take the weekend off before finals, and instead of studying, they went up to the University of Virginia to party with some friends. And so they had planned to make it back by Sunday and and cram all Sunday night for the chem final uh, on Monday morning, but the hangovers and everything that happened to them, it didn't quite work out that way, and so they devised a plan. They went to their professor and told him that they had gone to U of A, but that uh, they had left from there with plenty of time uh, to study for the final on Monday, but the trouble was they had a flat tire and were stranded on the highway for most of the night because they didn't have a spare. And that was their story. And so this professor, knowing what great students these two were, agreed to let them make up the final the next day. And so the two students were obviously relieved, and they went to their rooms and studied all day, all night. And the next day they went to the test, and they were feeling more confident than ever. And their professor handed each of them a test. And he sat them in separate rooms and told them to begin. And so they looked at the first problem, which was something simple about free radical formation. Uh, the question was worth five points, and they both thought to themselves, cool, this is, this is going to be easy. 
And so they finished the problem and then they turned to the next page and they were unprepared for what they saw. Because question two, the only other question on the exam, was worth 95 points and it simply read, which tire? (laughs) Some of you will get that later tonight, right? (laughs) A very wise professor wanting to expose the honesty, right, or lack of honesty uh, in these two students. And it reminds me of a story in the Bible where a king demonstrated incredible wisdom in dealing with two people whose honesty was in question. And of course, I'm referring to the story in 1 Kings chapter 3. You can turn there in your Bibles with me, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. And you've heard this story before, I'm sure. But let me read it to you again, in case it's not familiar with you, to, to you. 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 16. Then two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, Oh, my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. And it happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. And this woman's son died in the night because she lay on him. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son whom I had born. Then the other woman said, no, for the living one is my son and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, no, for the dead one is your son and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, the one says, this is my son who is living and your son is the dead one. And the other says, no, for your son is the dead one and my son is the living one. The king said, get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was living, excuse me, child was the living one, spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son and said, Oh my Lord, give her the living child and by no means kill him. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours, divide him. Then the king said, Give the first woman the living child and by no means kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king. For they saw the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. We know that this king was obviously King Solomon. And the wisdom that he demonstrated in this situation was the direct result of a request that he had made to God to give him wisdom to rule over the nation of Israel. And how many times have I been in a situation where I've got two people telling me two different things... And one of them's lying, but it's not obvious who that is when I've thought, somebody, just somebody give me a sword. <laughs> and, 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 and it's just not as easy as, it, as Solomon makes it out to be. But that was extremely wise. Because he knew, right, as soon as he threatened the life of that child, the real mom would step in to protect that child. And he would know exactly who the real mom was. 
And the other one obviously could care less and uh, would be fine with that baby being killed. This story needs to be seen in, in its context. And if you look earlier in that chapter, 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 3, notice what it says. Now Solomon loved the Lord walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was, uh, for that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on the altar in Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night and said, ask what you wish me to give you. How about that? God shows up and says, hey, ask me whatever you want and I'll give it to you. Then Solomon said, you have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart towards you, and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Well, it was a pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days if you walk in all my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. All that to say, in answer to Solomon's humble request for wisdom, God made him the wisest man who ever lived. And people from around the world traveled many miles and many months to sit at his feet and just soak up his great wisdom. Notice in chapter 4, 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29. Now God gave Solomon wisdom and very great discernment and breath of mind like the sand that is on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the sons of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezraite, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was known in the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 100,005. Excuse me, a thousand and five. He spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon, even to the hyssop that grows on the wall. He spoke also of animals and birds and creeping things and fish. In other words, the, there wasn't a subject that the guy wasn't a master of. He, he knew something about everything. Verse 34, men came from all peoples to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Well, we know that Solomon's wisdom... Not all of it, but a lot of it is preserved for us in the wisdom books of the Old Testament. That's why we call them the wisdom books, right? Uh, the book of Job, right? Uh, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Not that Solomon wrote Job, but it's part of the wisdom literature, the poetry uh, of, 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 the, of the Old Testament. But of all these books, Proverbs 
serves as the best wisdom sampler, if you will, that allows us to get a taste of Solomon's remarkable insight regarding life. Someone has called Proverbs wisdom from heaven for life on earth. Wisdom from heaven for life on earth. And Solomon clearly displayed heavenly wisdom, like it says in the book of James, chapter 3, wisdom from above. And so he received his wisdom through direct intervention by God. Now, we shouldn't expect, should we expect to get our wisdom by direct intervention by God? I mean, wouldn't it be nice if if God would appear to us in a dream and tell us that he wanted to give us whatever we wanted? Wouldn't that be nice? And we know that God no longer interacts with Christians today like he did with his people in the Old Testament. And so we need to ask ourselves, if we can't expect God to show up in a dream or a vision so that we can ask him for wisdom, well, then how do we get it? How do we get wisdom? What can we do to develop the wisdom that Solomon had? How can we become a wiser person? By the way, you'll never be as wise as Solomon, right? Because he said there's, no, there's never going to be anybody wiser than you. But what, what are the, some of the steps that we can take that will help us grow in wisdom and discernment? From the beginning of time, people have coveted wisdom. They've wanted wisdom. You remember uh, in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, 6, it says that when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one, what? Wise. She took from its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and, and he ate. And so there was this original desire for wisdom. And uh, ever since then, people have tried virtually everything to acquire this prized possession. Um, they've sought wisdom through education, right? They've studied the great minds of the past. They've sought wisdom through inspiration. They've traveled to exotic places. Uh, they've sought wisdom through meditation and reflection where they, they look inward. They search within themselves for wisdom. And yet, most people um, who have tried hard to acquire wisdom uh, have not found it. It remains an elusive thing to them. And I think the reason why is they're looking for wisdom in all the wrong places. Um, Even Christians at times, we experience frustration with our lack of wisdom. And frequently we find ourselves in situations where we don't know what to do. Has anybody been there? You You just don't know what to do. Or worse, you know what to do, but you didn't do it. That can be even more frustrating. And we know that wisdom is not just knowledge, right? There's a difference between knowledge. Knowledge is knowing what to do, uh, and wisdom is knowing how to put that knowledge into practice, right? It's the ability to practically apply what you know to the everyday situations of life. And how many times have you done something that you know you shouldn't have done, right? You're smarter than that. You've seen other people do the same thing, right? And, and, uh, and you saw what happened to them, and, and you have the biblical knowledge that that's sin or that's unwise, and yet you do it anyway. And then when you realize it, you say, man, how, man, that was so dumb. That was so stupid. How could I be so foolish? And oftentimes, that's what comes out of the mouth of somebody who's heartbroken over their sin. Because they sinned. It wasn't like they just stumbled. They, they walked, you know, eyes wide open 
They made a conscious decision, I am going to go after that. And so as Christians, sometimes we're like, well, that was dumb. And, and, and that's why the, the Scriptures commands us to, to walk in wisdom. Basically, the word walk means to live, right? To live our lives according to wisdom. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk, how you live your life, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Um, Moses in Psalm 90, prayed this to God, verse 12. He said, so teach us, God, to number our days that we may present to you a heart of what? You remember? Wisdom. And so here's a, a godly man saying, Lord, help us to, 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 to live our lives wisely so that we can present to you a heart of wisdom. So again, the question is, how do we get that wisdom that the Bible talks about? What does it take to become a wise person? What are some things that we can do to ensure that we are walking wisely, that, that we're living our lives according to godly wisdom, that, that we can minimize the times that we have to say, well, that was stupid. I knew better than that, and I did it anyway. How can we minimize that, limit that in our lives? Well, tonight I just want to suggest to you six ways to become wise. Or another way to say it is six ways to wise up. Six ways to wise up. And I think if we do these six things, we will grow in wisdom and we'll walk in wisdom. And uh, if you didn't grab a, a sheet on the back table, you can jump up and grab one now. I've just given you this outline uh, in, in a, in a, in a, on a piece of paper. It'd be easy for you to follow that along probably than try to take notes on your own. So just grab one of those. And we're just going to look at these six ways uh, to, to become wise, to grow in wisdom. Um, I don't know about you, but this is, uh, this just, I'll just give you some practical uh, example of the need for wisdom. Uh, this morning, at, at, at our elders meeting, we honestly, as elders, were just overwhelmed by just the number of um, difficult issues that are going on in the lives of people in this church. And um, God has given us the responsibility to oversee those situations and to shepherd those situations. And, and there are some of them that are very complicated. Like, what do you tell that person? How do you counsel that person? What, how do you come alongside that person? What do they need right now in your life? What, how can we help them? How can we... Uh, encourage them? How can we confront them? It's, it's, they're very complicated. And so we were, there was just kind of an overwhelming as we got down on our knees to pray this morning of, Lord, we need your help desperately. We need your wisdom. And there was just a, a that we just, Lord, we, we're, we're clueless. What, what do we do? And there's so many situations, we can't even keep track of them, number one. Uh, but then what do we do in each one of these situations? And so we were just crying out to God for wisdom. And uh, hopefully that's a, a daily or at least a regular experience in your life, right? That you feel overwhelmed by the challenges, the pressures of life, maybe your own heart and soul, the things you battle with, and maybe in your marriage, uh, in your family, what's going on with your kids, right? Uh, you feel overwhelmed by all the issues that's good that are going on in their lives, what's going on in your, at work, in your community, um, maybe with your health, right? Lord, I feel overwhelmed. I need your wisdom. And so let's look at these things 
that you can do to grow in wisdom and walk in wisdom. Number one is aspiration. Aspiration. Uh, look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and you're going to see uh, this aspiration, this desiring of wisdom uh, here uh, as Solomon exhorts his son. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1, my son, if you will receive my words and treasure my commandments within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding, for if you cry for discernment, lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, then you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom, from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding, and he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity. And so I think this is a good starting point when you talk about wisdom. How do you become a wiser person? Well, you've got to want it. The search for wisdom begins with a passion to have it. And you can just see here the, 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 the father telling the son, listen, if you seek for wisdom like you're seeking for treasure, you're on a treasure hunt. And that you want it so badly to discover, to discern truth and knowledge, to know what to do in in any given situation, then it says the Lord's going to give it to you. But he's not going to give it to you if you really want it. There's a lot of people that say, oh, yeah, I just just don't know what what to do in this situation. I really wish God would just show me what what he wants me to do. But they really don't want it, okay? They're really not passionate about pursuing it and discerning God's will. I heard a story years ago about a young basketball phenom, and uh, he was uh, just wanting to just be the next great basketball player, the NBA player, and so he went and searched out this renowned, respected coach, thinking that this was going to be the key, right, getting under this guy's tutelage and being trained by this guy, this coach, that he would become the next whatever, Michael Jordan or Kobe Bryant or whatever, and so he went to the coach and he said, hey, I, I'd like you to be, uh, I, I want to be the best basketball player who ever lived. And I want you to help me get there. He said, okay, follow me. And so the coach took him to the gym where all the basketball hoops were at this university and uh, took him through there. They didn't stop and they took, he took him to the, uh, the place where the pool was. And he thought, this is kind of strange. I came to play basketball, learn how to play basketball, not how to swim. And so he invited the young man down into the pool with him. And so they went down in the pool together. And as soon as they got into the water high enough up to his shoulders, the coach took him and shoved him under the water and held him down. And the, the boy was, of course, freaking out and fighting to get free and to get air. And he, the, the coach wouldn't let go. He kept holding him down. He kept holding him down. He kept holding him down under the water. And finally, when he could tell that he was about to lose his breath, he, he yanked him out of the water. And, of course, the, guy was, the young guy was sputtering and spitting out water and going, what in the world are you doing? Are you crazy? And he said, until you want to be the best basketball player, as much as you want air, then I'm not going to coach you. And the whole point, he was trying to deal with this kid's desire. I mean, how bad? Yeah, it's easy to say, I want to be the next best basketball player in the world, right? But do you really want to be the next best basketball player? You've got to want it. 
You've got to have a passion for it. And so I think the first step to grow in wisdom is, is you have to want it. There's this aspiration. Proverbs chapter 2 talks about that seeking, that searching, that hungering, that thirsting, if you will, uh, for wisdom. Number two is humiliation. Okay, you've got to want it, but there's also this humiliation that you have to understand. Look at Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28, verse 12. Of course, this is the end of Job when... um, well, I should say it's the middle of Job here. Some interesting things here. Job 28, verse 12. It's, this, it's called the search for wisdom. And, and Job says, But where can wisdom be found? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it's not with me. Pure gold cannot be given in exchange for it, nor can silver be weighed as its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and pre- precious onyx or sapphire. Gold or glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for particles of fine gold. Coral and crystal are not to be mentioned, and the acquisition of wisdom is above that of pearls. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? And where is the place of understanding? Thus it is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the sky. Abaddon and Death say, with our ears we have heard a report of it. And then here it is, verse 23. God understands its way. He knows its place. For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens when he imparted weight to the wind and meted out the waters by measure when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Then he saw it and declared it. He established it and also searched it out. And to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. The point is that we need to first of all acknowledge, right, that we don't have it and uh, we can't have it apart from God because it resides in God. Wisdom resides in God. Look at Proverbs 1 7. How, so, okay, if it resides in God, how do you get wisdom from God? He's got it. You want it, right? Or you want it. He's got it. How do you get it? Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs 9, 10 says virtually the same thing. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. And so what are we saying here? Well, like... Most anything else in life, if you really want something bad enough, you usually get it. However, the tendency for all of us is that we pridefully and aggressively pursue things that we really want, typically by relying on our own ingenuity and our own ability. But here we learn that a desire for wisdom is born out of humility. A prideful person thinks that they already have wisdom, they don't need to seek it. A humble person, on the other hand, acknowledges their own potential to live foolishly, to say and do stupid things. Anybody there? I've often prayed that. Lord, if left to myself today, right, this is the morning prayer, if left to myself today, I'm going to say and do stupid things. I need your wisdom. I need your help. 
And so, so you realize you need wisdom. And so in brokenness and dependence on God, you humbly seek what you so desperately need. And so I think the key that unlocks the door to wisdom is humility. Acknowledging you don't, admitting you don't have it, right? But God does, and you need it from him. And so you fear him, which means you respect him, you honor him, you humble yourselves, what? Before him. Dr. Kent Hughes says it this way, when we see God for who he is, holy, awesome, loving, and sovereign, and embrace a proper fear of him, we are at the doorway of wisdom. And we step through that door when we acknowledge our own finiteness and inability to direct our own lives. There can be no wisdom apart from a quaking, fearful vision of God and our own contrasting littleness When we truly see God and truly see ourselves, we become humble and meek and therefore teachable and receptive to God's wisdom. Another author said it this way, wisdom is to be found with God and nowhere else. And unless the quest for wisdom brings a man to his knees in awe and reverence, knowing his own helplessness to make himself wise, wisdom remains for him a closed book. So as long as you think you can figure it out yourself, right, and you can grow in wisdom apart from God, right, you're never going to have wisdom. In order to be wise, you need to humbly acknowledge that, that God is the source of all wisdom. What does Psalm 14.1 says? Psalm 14.1 says, the fool has said in his heart, what? There is no God. So that's the opposite of wisdom, right? Wisdom is, hey, there is a God, and, I, and I'm not him, and I need him, right? There is a God, and I need him. The fool says there is no God. So, again, wisdom starts with wanting it, but you also need to humble yourselves and acknowledge that, that uh, you will never attain it apart from a relationship with God. And that really brings us to the third point, and that's salvation. Salvation. Notice some New Testament passages here, and these are all listed for you in those notes. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, says, But those who are, are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30. But by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In other words, the wisdom of God is embodied in who? Jesus Christ. I mean, that's profound. That that Jesus is the wisdom of God. And then Colossians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul says this, talking about Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And so you say, okay, I'm, I'm starting to get this here. Okay, so God's got what I need and what I want, right? He's got the wisdom. It's all in God. But where did he put it? Where did he hide all that wisdom? In Christ. It's all in the person 
of Jesus Christ. And so wisdom cannot be found apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so in order to receive God's wisdom, you must first receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior. And that's why some of you tonight, maybe you feel like you're wandering through life just clueless and you keep messing up and doing and saying dumb things, right? It may be because you do not, do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. That, that's where it starts. You have to have a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross in your place to take the punishment for your sin. And it's, that, that, that you're looking for wisdom. It's not contemplating your navel, right? It's, 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 um, it's coming to Christ, It's committing your life to Christ. That's where the wisdom is. So if you want wisdom, uh, you need to find it in Christ specifically because that's where God put it. That's where he hid it. So there's salvation. You need to get saved. You need to become a Christian. You need to be born again. Or you're just going to be a fool, right? You're you're, you're consigning yourself to, 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 to stupidity, right? It's easier said, right, than done, right? You're, you're consigning yourself to stupidity the rest of your life. And so there's salvation, number three. Number four is supplication. Supplication. And the, probably the most familiar verse in the New Testament about wisdom is, is James chapter 1, verse 5. You, you probably even have this memorized, Right? If any of you lacks wisdom, what are you supposed to do? Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. In other words, he's not going to pick on you for asking. Like, well, it's about time, you knucklehead. After you messed up everything, it's about time you got here to ask me for wisdom, right? No, he's not not uh, going to question you. Um, He's going to give it to you generously. If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's a promise. And so if you want wisdom, you need to ask God for it. And I think it's um, interesting how whenever Paul prayed for people, particularly the churches that he wrote letters to, uh, he included a prayer for wisdom. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Ephesians 1.15, for this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of what? Wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That's a great prayer. Father, would you give me a spirit of wisdom? Would you give me wisdom and discernment? He prayed that for the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, again, opening his letter with, the, with what he prayed for for them, Colossians 1, 9, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Another great prayer. You see, how do I pray for wisdom? There you go. Just, just be a copycat. Copy Paul's prayer. Right, Lord, would you fill me with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding? Just pray that. And so really what prayer is, it's, it's, it's how we express the desires of our heart to God. And so when we pray to God for discernment, we're, we're admitting to God that we desperately need it. 
We're acknowledging the fact that it comes from him, and we're trusting him to grant it to us. Basically, we're saying, God, you've got it. I don't, but I want it, and I need it, and I'm confident that you're going to give it to me when I ask you. That's what we're saying when we pray. And so, really, the fourth step to to grow in wisdom is to beg God for it. I mean, to beg God for it. We, We need to appeal to the only source of true wisdom. I'm, I've gotten in the habit of praying a prayer that just kind of comes out naturally oftentimes, most often when I'm about to counsel someone and I'm not quite sure how, what they're going to tell me. They just said, hey, pastor, do you have some time we can get together? I'm like, sure, come on. And so they're there and I don't really know what they're going to tell me and I don't know how I'm going to have to respond, right? So I have got into the habit of praying, Lord, would you give me wisdom beyond my years? That's my prayer. Would you give me wisdom beyond my ears? Now, the scary part is I'm getting up there in years, okay? And that sounded like a really spiritual prayer when I was 30, but now when I'm 47, it's almost like, or what am I? I'm 46. I can't even track, okay? So now that I'm 46, it's almost like God's saying, well, listen, buddy, you should have it figured out now. You can't, you're, you can't keep praying wisdom. I guess you can, right? All the way, you can always be older. You can always be wiser, right? So Lord, give me the wisdom of a 60-year-old. Give me the wisdom of a 70-year-old. Give me the wisdom of an 80-year-old. Give me a wisdom of a, of a 90-year-old. Wherever you are, right, in your, in your station of life, there's always, you could always be older, you could always be wiser. And so I think that's just a, a great prayer. Lord, give me wisdom beyond my years. I always kind of felt like, and I still feel that way, I got, I'm, I got my little pail and shovel, and I'm like, okay, I'll try to help you if I can, right? Uh, Lord, give me wisdom beyond my years. This stuff is beyond me. I don't know. I've never experienced what this person is telling me about. I don't know how to respond. All I can say is, hey, I know what the Bible says about this. Which brings us to the fifth way that you can grow in wisdom. And that is revelation. Revelation. And I'm not talking about God, again, showing up in a dream or a vision. I'm talking about His Word. And listen to what the Word says about the wisdom of the Word. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The simple was a word in the Old Testament really for stupid. Okay, So the Bible makes stupid people wise. And so that's what the Bible does. Um, Psalm 119, we just got done reading through Psalm 119 on Sunday mornings, but Psalm 119, every verse makes reference to the Word of God. But Psalm 119, verse 97 says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. I have more insight than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged because I have observed your precepts. In other words, in comparison to to, to people who don't know you and who don't know your word, I'm smarter than they are. I know more than they know. Why? Why? Because I'm, because I'm smarter than them? Because I'm older than them? No. Because you have wisdom from the scriptures. And, and listen, this has kind of been my bread and butter in early years of ministry that, that people will come 
to, to, to my office for counseling, and, and I'm half their age oftentimes. And so it would be very easy for people to say, well, I, I'm not going to go to that guy. What does he know? Well, it's not how much I know necessarily from life's experience, but how much do you know from God's Word, right? That's really the matter. It's, 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 it's not me that you've come to hear from, and you've come to hear from God's Word, right? So the key is not, um, the key is, does the guy know his Bible? That's, that's what matters, amen? Does the guy know his Bible? And so sometimes a younger man or a younger person can be more helpful um, in a counseling situation than an older person um, if he knows the Bible better, right? Yeah, sure, there's something to say for experience. I'm all for that. Um, but the key is that you know the Scriptures, Colossians 3.16, we've been looking at this verse uh, in, in recent weeks about singing, right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all, what? Wisdom. Let the word of Christ, let the word of God, richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another. And then, of course, 2 Timothy 3.15, Paul said to uh, Timothy, that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to give you the, what? Wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In other words, that God gives us wisdom through the sacred writings, through the scriptures. So the word of God is the primary channel through which the wisdom from God flows. It's through the word of Christ. We said that, the, we said that God hid wisdom in Christ, right? But it flows through the word of Christ, right? So how do we get that wisdom from Christ, out of Christ, into us? Well, it's through his word, the word of Christ. This is where he shared his wisdom. He revealed his wisdom in this thing right here. J.I. Packer, in his classic book, Knowing God, said this. He said, quote, Wisdom is divinely wrought in those and those only who apply themselves to God's revelation. In other words, you're never going to be a wise person. You're never going to grow in wisdom. You're never going to walk in wisdom unless you spend time in God's word. He said, Many today who profess to be uh, Christ's never learn wisdom through failure to attend sufficiently to God's written word. He asked the question, how long is it since you read right through the Bible? When's the last time you read the Bible cover to cover? Do you spend as much time with the Bible each day as you do even the newspaper? How about this? How much time do you spend in God's Word compared to how much time you spend serving the the net, right? I mean, let's face it. Where are our priorities, right? We, We spend a lot of time watching TV, surfing the Internet, right, watching movies, Okay, how much time do you spend reading God's word? He said, what fools some of us are, and we remain fools all of our lives simply because we will not take the trouble to do what, is, what has to be done to receive the wisdom, which is God's free gift. Listen, it's right here. You want God's wisdom? It's right here. And, and it just takes time. It takes time and, and, and discipline and dedication um, to, to spend time in God's word and to, and to glean the wisdom that he's put here 
for us. Bottom line, a wise person is simply one who lives his life according to the principles of the Word of God. That's, a, that's the wisest person on the planet who's living his life uh, in, in, or lining his life up with the Scriptures. And then there's one more, I think, that we would be remiss if we didn't mention a way that you can wise up, a way that you can grow in wisdom, and that's association. Association. And the Proverbs talks a lot about this. And, and, and the, the dad here, writing to his son, um, mentioned this often. The power of friendship. Association. Proverbs 5.1, My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding. So here's a dad saying, hey, listen, I, I'm a little older than you. I'm a little wiser than you. I've lived longer, excuse me, I live longer than you. I've got a little more wisdom. I've got a little more understanding. Listen to what I'm saying to you, okay? Uh, chapter 12, Proverbs 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. So be listening to good counsel is the, is the point he's making. Proverbs 24, 6. Proverbs 24, 6. For by wise guidance you will wage war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. Uh, Proverbs uh, 22. Proverbs 22, kind of going backwards here. Verse 24 and 25. Do not associate with a man given to anger, or go with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his ways and find a snare for yourself. In other words, you become like what? The people you hang around, right? If you hang around an angry person, what's going to happen? You're going to become an angry person. You're going to learn his ways. You're going to fall in the same trap. Proverbs 13, 20. Classic verse here. He who walks with wise men will be what? Wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Huge decision you're going to make every day of your life, especially if you're a young person, okay? I'm looking at the college-age kids in here, okay? You become like the people you hang around. There's few decisions more important in your life than who you choose to be your friends, who you choose to hang around, because that's just the power of friendship. You will become like the people you hang around. And so if you're running with a bunch of fools, guess what? You're going to become a fool, and you're proving that you are a fool already, right? And, uh, and you're going to get hurt. You're going to suffer harm. There's going to be consequences. But if you walk with wise people, in other words, you hang out with people that are wise, starting with your mom and dad, right? The Proverbs says, hey, listen to your mom and dad. Don't, don't spurn their counsel. Don't spurn their wisdom. Listen to your mom and dad. And then, obviously, godly counselors like pastors and, and youth pastors and, and disciplers, right? People that disciple you and mentor you. But then the people you hang around with at school, let's, let's bump it up to, you know, big people, okay? Like us, okay? Who do you hang out with at work? Who are your buddies? Who, what are you doing after work? Where's everybody going after work? Are you going with the fools, right? And doing what they're doing? Or are you hanging with the wise people? Right? Ladies, who, who do you hang out with in your subdivision? Who are you getting together with at the park? 
Are you getting together with a bunch of gossipy gossips, right, who are just talking about everything that's going on in town? And guess what? You hang around those kind of people, you're going to become one of those kind of people. Or are you saying, you know what, I'm going to hang out with, with godly women who, who don't gossip and, and who love Christ and who confront me if I, do, if I start to gossip, right? It's like, he who walks with the wise will be wise. So the whole point is, it's this idea of association that we must watch, listen, and learn from wise people around us. You want to be wise? Find a wise person. Find somebody who is older and wiser than you and hang out with them. Spend time with them. Lots of it. Ask them to disciple you. Ask them to mentor you. That's a very practical way to grow in wisdom, right? And how to walk in wisdom. Walk alongside someone who maybe has been down that road. He's a little bit ahead of you. They're a little ahead of you in the, in the spiritual walk, right? Walk with those kind of people. I think another thing you could do is is hang out with Solomon, okay? You got, you got the book of Proverbs. You've got Ecclesiastes. Um, hang out, re, hang out with Solomon. I mean, he was the wisest guy ever lived, right? And you, you've got access to his wisdom here in the book of Proverbs. So some, some Christians have committed that they're gonna read a proverb a day, right? You ever done that? Anybody ever done that? Just say, hey, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read a proverb a day. It's gonna be part of my daily quiet time, my daily uh, ritual, if you will, of, of, of how I get into God's word and spend time in God's word, uh, the least I'm going to do is at least read a proverb a day. And there's 31 proverbs, so that pretty much works. You read one a day and you go through the proverbs every month and then start over again, right? And just, how about that? Read, read the proverbs, the book of proverbs 12 times in a year. I think you'd be a little wiser at the end of that year, wouldn't you think? And maybe something beyond that. You say, well, I've read through Proverbs. That kind of got a little old, a little stale. Okay, how about this? Do a systematic study of every subject addressed in the book of Proverbs. Seriously. I mean, you think about it. Okay, what does it address? Okay, address money. Okay, I'm going to see, I'm going I'm to grow in wisdom when it comes to money. Um, it talks a lot about the tongue, right? How you talk. So I'm going to do a, I'm going to see whatever, I'm going to go through the Psalms looking for, or excuse me, the Proverbs, and look at everything it says about the tongue. Talks about sex, sexual morality, right? I'm going to do, I want to be wise when it comes to all the temptation that's out there in the world today. I'm going to, I'm going to look for everything the Bible says, everything the book of Proverbs says about sexual morality. See what I'm saying? Let me just get really specific. I've got some books in my library that, that look at Proverbs from a topical perspective. In other words, it's, 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 it's not, Usually the best to go through Proverbs kind of in a verse-by-verse expositional, right, you know, like we do an epistle. It's more, look at it topically. That's probably the better way to study the book of Proverbs. So you can do that. So anyway, um, those are just some practical ways that you can grow in wisdom. One last example, hopefully to inspire you, uh, is that of Daniel. Um, I mean, we typically think of when we think of a, of a wise person in the Bible, we think of Solomon, right? But listen to what the Spirit of God says about Daniel and his friends uh, in Daniel chapter 1. You know the story. Daniel and uh, several other young men from Israel were uh, taken hostage and uh, into exile into, into uh, Babylon 
And uh, they refused to eat the royal food and wine. They didn't want to compromise. And so they asked the, the king's servant if they could just have a special meal of just basically vegetables and water, right? And so the, the, the king's um, helper agreed to that. And then in verse 17, this is Daniel chapter 1, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel even understood all kinds of visions and dreams. Then at the end of the days, which the king had specified for presenting them, the commander of the officials presented them before Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and out of them all, not one of them was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's personal service. As for every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king consulted them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers who were in all his realm. That's pretty good, huh? God made them that smart, right? God made them 10 times smarter, wiser than everyone else. Even all of his own personal, what he calls magicians and conjurers. These were the guys that the king would consult when he had a vision or a dream and wasn't sure how to interpret it. And in fact, that's the context. The very next chapter, in chapter 2, the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, has this dream, and it troubled him. He couldn't, so much he couldn't sleep, so he got all of his, his, his guys, the, the magicians and the conjurers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans, to tell him the king's dream. And he says, uh, and the king was wise at this point enough to say, listen, I know you guys just tell me what I want to hear, Okay. And how do I really know that you're actually telling me the right interpretation? So what I'm going to tell you to do is you got to not only tell me the interpretation of the dream, you need to tell me the dream. You need to tell me what I dreamed. I'm not going to tell you what I dreamed. Because you're going to tell me what I dreamed. Because if you, if you guys are really all that you say you are, you should know what I dreamed. And then you could tell me what it meant. So they're like, well, king, there's not a, there's, nobody can do that. He says, fine, I'm going to kill you all. And so, sure enough, he goes out to kill all these guys, and they, they get to Daniel, and Daniel was one of the, the guys, right, that he would consult, and he was going to get killed. And uh, I love what happens here. Um, verse 14, then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had come to kill him who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? And Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. And then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, about the matter so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. So Daniel shows up back to the college dorm room and says, hey, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray because I just told the king that we were going to be able to tell him what his dream was and interpret it for him. And if we don't, we're going to die. There was an urgency right, that night to pray, and so sure enough, they got on their knees, and the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision, and then notice what Daniel said, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to who? To him. It is he who changes the times and the epics. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge of men to men of understanding, It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. 
To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what he requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So when God does grant you the wisdom that you've pursued, right, that you've humbled yourself, you've gotten saved, right, and that you um, prayed for and that you sought in the scriptures and that you hung around other people and next thing you know, you're getting, you're growing in wisdom, what do you need to make sure you do? Praise and thank God. Don't get all like, hey, I'm getting pretty smart. I'm getting pretty wise. You know, no, God, it's all you. You get all the glory. You get all the praise. You get all the honor. Proverbs 3.13, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. Father, we thank you for your word and how it reveals to us that which we don't know, but that we need to know. And uh, thank you for all that your word says about wisdom and who, is, who has it, where it is, how to get it, what to do when we receive it. And uh, Lord, we just want to give you all the praise and honor and glory because we know ultimately you are the all-knowing, all-wise God. And uh, your ways are so much higher than our ways. And uh, your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we'll never be as wise as you. And we'll spend all eternity worshiping you humbly uh, because of your great wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray you'd help us to grow in wisdom, help us to walk in wisdom. And, Lord, that uh, we know that when we do, when we find that wisdom, we will be blessed. And so we thank you for tonight. Pray you'd help us apply what we've learned in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, hopefully that's a good preparation for next Wednesday. We'll jump back into the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. All right? You guys have a great night. You're dismissed.